she's got someone coming around to fix a wedding dress or something. Mm. Um, okay, scratch that. That doesn't make any sense. Okay, welcome everyone. This is episode 25. 25, halfway to a half century, a quarter of a century rather. Uh, and this is the third of a three part series called Heading North to Meet the Dawn. And if you were listening to last week's episode, you'll realize now, of course, the dawn is none other than the unbelievable master of Basie, which certainly in Japan, in terms of the jazz joint culture, is undoubtedly regarded as the Mecca, the place to go, the place to be, and just this beacon of jazz Kisa culture. Would you agree with that assessment, James? Um, 100% agree. Um, when Unusual. I first started, uh, <laughs> when I first started my website back in 2007 and started telling people that I was, you know, I'm going around keeping a diary and all the jazz joints that I'm, that I'm really into in Tokyo. Um, I started hearing about it back then. And, uh, you know, it's strange because the more you hear about something, you, you kind of instinctively think, well, you know, maybe it's actually not that good. You know, I, I know some less well-known places and, you know, I'm doing a deep dive here. Um, yeah, I'll get there eventually. So I put it off and then I had, you know, then I had kids and I wasn't traveling, et cetera, et cetera. And so for whatever reason, until we started our project, I'd never taken the Shinkansen uh, up north to Iwate Prefecture to, to go visit Basie. Um, so when we started talking about heading outside of Tokyo, um, this was at the top of our list, wasn't it, of places that we had to get to? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like I said in last week's episode, you know, I... I I knew of all the places that I would not be able to photograph, this would not be one of them. And I would have to try and get there before I left Japan. And I just remember, you know, we, he dropped us off. We'd had that mad, I mean, I've been up at God knows what time to get the Shinkansen that morning. We'd had that mad discovery of Royce. Um, we'd been dropped in front of Basie by uh, the owner of Royce in his car. There'd been this kind of cryptic, uh, comment about the ashtray and then of course we'd heard from a lot of people and and you know the owner of Basie he really seems to split the crowd and certainly before we went there and indeed after when we were down in Kyushu and so on uh, when you mention Basie you always get one of two reactions it's either oh uh, he's a bit of a difficult character or oh he's a legend um, and yeah. so I think we were I mean I remember certainly myself being quite nervous I remember thinking okay I've mm -hmm. got to make sure that I really document this place in all its glory and also I was thinking, God, what if we've come all this way and it's going to be one of these things where, you know, the guy's like, get the hell out of here. We're like, who, who are you? What do you want? Uh, mm. And it was going to be a wasted trip. So I just remember when we initially opened that door, you know, with the little bell on it and, and walked mm -hmm. inside and the music was playing. Uh, genuinely, it sounds ridiculous, I know, but it, genuinely being quite nervous and like full of sort of trepidation. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it completely because, as you said, we'd heard so much about it. Um, Sugawara Shoji, he, uh, well, at the time, this was, what was this, four or five years ago when we went? No, I'm, I'm yeah, blanking. it would have been, well, it was, no, it would have been 2017, so it was only three years. Oh, 17, okay, so 17, okay. Okay, Sugawara Shoji, he was 75 years old when we went. Is he? Um, oh. Yeah, he was born in 1942. Um, he was born in the town of Ichinoseki. 
Okay, and so he opened uh, the cafe in his hometown, but he did go down to Tokyo. Like a lot of the cafe owners um, that we have met around the country, and we will go into much further detail about this in a special episode later on, um, he used to hang out in the cafes uh, of Shinjuku in particular. Uh, he was a Waseda University student. He was a band leader at the time in one of the swing bands. And he went on to not only open the cafe, but he became... Um, a bit of an audio expert, a journalist, a photographer, um, and pretty well known throughout the country for a lot of the music work that he was doing with bands who were coming to play here, jazz bands who were coming to play here. So over the years, Basie um, and Sugawara-san himself um, sort of acquired this this reputation of, of being, as you said, like a mecca for jazz fans, for audio fans. And he himself became this kind of shifty, legendary character uh, where you didn't know if the stories that you were hearing were true or not. So definitely I felt the same kind of emotion when, when we were walking in there. And uh, we walked in and it was still pretty early in the day. I think it was um, in my notes I had it being um, 11.30, so they were just really open. Oh, now, we did call ahead, and I had spoken to um, one of the female staff members just to, just to make sure uh, that they'd be opening on this Saturday. So we knew that the, uh, the staff would be there. We did not know if he was going to be there or not. Um, and so we went in, and I, I remember my first impression was just how large it was. I mean, compared to almost all the cafes that we've been spending time in on our trip, um, Basie is huge. Yeah, I mean, it's a kind of, um, I think actually you had called a couple of times and got a fairly gruff response to something along the lines of like, uh, we're not a train timetable or something like that, right? So I think that the, the opening hours, even when we got there, we kind of expected perhaps to to have, you know, maybe been too early or, you know, as we've had in the in the past sometimes. I've, I forgot about that. Yes, I did call because uh, it was the, the female staff member, uh, the younger lady who, who was quite kind. When I spoke to Sugawara-san himself on the phone and asked him about, oh, you know, is, is it a far walk from the station or, you know, do the trains come very often? And that's when he replied that, you know, yeah, I think his exact phrase was like, you know, I'm not a station attendant. I don't know the times. <laughs> yeah, which which seems seems a fair comment. I mean, I didn't realize you were asking that level of detail. It's like you've never heard of the internet. But listen, um, we we went in, and and I think probably as well for me, like uh, we we had your friend uh, Justin with us, and I think maybe for him it was probably even more bizarre because we kind of came in and very reverently. I mean, it was almost like a, an entering a church or a temple kind of vibe. And I think we were just so, it was like someone walking through a, a China shop and you don't want to turn around and knock anything over and, and cause a scene. And, <laughs> and we, you can see on the second photograph on the site, that's actually taken through the door. So we opened that door and we went straight to that table that you can see in front of us. And curiously, perhaps the the kind of the bulk of the sound system is actually in that part of the cafe. So I don't know if maybe over the years it's grown in size or it's kind of spread out or whatever. But we sat at that little table that you can see there with our stuff. And actually, I think you can see some bags on it as well. Um, and again... 
there was that kind of sort of, I suppose, that little ripple of like, oh, hello. Uh, and we looked across and, of course, eventually the lady came across to take our order and we sort of very hesitantly ordered a few beers. We were really trying to check what was okay and what wasn't okay. And we, I think we were just so desperate not to mess it up or look like idiots that we just sat, yeah, com- we chatted, completely. we had a drink. Very conveniently, very conveniently, you um, you stood up to say, oh, you know, I need to check the lighting uh, around here, see if I can get the pick. So, James, why don't you go and talk to him? Now, hang on ourselves. a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute, right? That's, that's, definitely, that's definitely what happened. This is how memory, I mean, I know that we're getting older, but I, I thought your memory would, would, would be better than that still. But anyway, here's how I remember it, right? And I'm pretty sure this is the definitive version. <laughs> Tokyo Jazz joins Rashomon. <laughs> so... We were sitting at the table and when she came over with the drinks, I said to her, oh, actually, we've come down from Tokyo. Uh, And she sort of said, oh, right, okay." And I said, you know, we're doing this project. Would it be okay if we could photograph the place? And she said, yeah, that's fine. Just don't photograph any customers. Now, at the moment, uh, at that moment, there weren't any customers there. Then... I went for a little bit of a wander around and actually went to the toilet. And when I came out of the toilet, you were up and wandering around. (laughs) Now, I went back to the table, took a few more photographs. And next thing, I looked around. And just for context, uh, when we came in and sat at that table, over to our right in the corner was swifty sugawara himself sitting at this huge round table and as you can see from the photographs he was wearing this beautifully pressed cream blazer fingers are covered with rings still had the sunglasses on and he was writing with this beautiful black fountain pen in a book uh some kind of um we, we thought maybe poetry or something but in this beautiful japanese calligraphy and we were like, he's here. He's actually here. (laughs) And I'm fairly sure that when I went to the toilet, by the time I came back out of the toilet, you were wandering around. And I remember thinking, oh God, if he's walking about taking photographs with his iPhone and that shutter sound's still on, we're going to be thrown out. (laughs) And then next thing, I think you'd struck up a conversation with him because we'd already had a couple of drinks by then. So maybe maybe the confidence was up. And you then sat down and before, before we knew it, uh, you, I think you'd come back over and said, oh, he's invited us to come and sit at, our t- uh, sit at his table. And then literally it was like someone clicked their fingers and this three, uh, these three female staff members appeared at our table and they moved all our drinks, all our bags and jackets over to this big round table to sit with Swifty. That's how I remember it. Partially true. I, I will maintain. <laughs> I will maintain till the end that uh, that I, I was the one to go up and make the quick introductions. Oh, as you, you did. You did. Went around to do the testing, but um, maybe that was just a coincidence. Oh, that, but, uh, yeah. But yes, you know, it was funny because when as soon as I introduced myself and I said, "Oh, you know, we we came up and we're just taking pictures around the region. We're doing this project, and you know, uh, I met so and so in Tokyo, and they said I had to come to Basie." And I think as soon as I spoke to him in Japanese, that relaxed him because. As we came to find out, unlike most of the the cafes uh, that we've been to and bars, um, Basie is very well known um, outside of Japan, whether it's jazz-connected people or audio 
connected people. So Basie's been profiled um, in, you know, audio magazines. And, you know, obviously a lot of people who have come over with jazz musicians, whatever, have been to the place. So he is very well used to dealing with non-Japanese people and even speaking a little bit of English. But when I spoke to him in Japanese, I could see that he, of course, he relaxed a little bit. And I, you know, I, I said, look, you know, it's really great that we could finally come up here. We wanted to come early so we would not disturb the customers and take pictures. He's like, oh, it's fine. Take whatever pictures you want and sit down. And and I was like, okay, don't need the second invitation. So um, yeah, as you said, uh, one of the waitresses brought not only all of our bags over, but proceeded to bring a tray of, you know, more cans of beer and whiskey highballs. Again, this is 11.45 in the morning, <laughs> and we had a long day ahead of us. Yep. And I just thought, you know what? I mean, you know, screw it. I'm, let's just dive in, man. Like, when are we going to get back here and be able to hang out with him? You know? So, um, and not only was he forthcoming, of course, he never once took off the sunglasses. No, no, no. Say. And I mean, the, um, photograph, I think- the, the photograph that I took of him, obviously, there's one uh, where he was kind of getting ready for it, and then there was one that he posed. And I suppose it's become one of those photographs that's iconic of the project, certainly. And I would say probably if you had to sum up the project in one picture, um, that could definitely be a contender. I mean, it has the owner. It has this beautiful, beautiful um, background of records, Mm. audio equipment, signatures, memorabilia. Uh, and it just really says everything about this culture in in one picture. And um, I'm so delighted that I was able to meet him. And not only that, that he agreed to have uh, his picture taken. And of course, as you said before, you know, he was a photographer himself, which I'll come back to in a little bit. Um, and of course, he's used to media attention. In fact, I think there's now a documentary that's been made about Basie in Japanese, which I know you and I have been trying to uh, contact some people to get it shown. Um, breaking news, breaking news. Oh. Um, as you know, we've been in a lockdown um, around the world and the movie was scheduled to come out quite a few months ago obviously had delayed uh movie theaters now opened again in japan and it will just be coming out september 18th so um if you're listening to this afterwards hopefully um you will see our comments about it up on the website we'll put it up on social media i will certainly be going to to check it out on opening night and uh, for any listeners in the western part of the world stay tuned as philip as you mentioned we're working on hopefully getting this to be shown over on that part of the world yeah we're so a documentary um, all about mr sugawara yeah we've got some plans to do an exhibition here it'll be the first time that the prints have ever been shown in ireland um and uh, we're hopeful perhaps um in conjunction with queen's film theater in belfast to maybe get the documentary shown as well to go alongside uh, the photo exhibition. So keep tuned for that. We'll let you know when we know. Um, but yeah, I mean, it just, you know, he, he's probably used to that kind of attention, um, but very humble guy. Um, we were t- slightly terrified. Like when you see him sitting at that table and doing his thing, you just think, oh no, like, you know, we're going to do something stupid or say something stupid or whatever. But he was very gracious, very friendly. Uh, and we chatted probably for a good hour Hour and a half, I think. Well, um, yeah, not we we did. I mean, we chatted for we, exactly right. We chatted for about an hour and a half. Um, obviously, had a couple too many drinks, and then don't you remember? Now I have this photo up on my own uh, Instagram feed, and I'm sure you have a copy too. But um, an old friend of his came by. 
That's right. And sat down. And if you can imagine, um, so if you're looking how dandy Swifty is, this guy took it to the next level. Um, <laughs> <laughs> completely bald, wearing, you know, John Lennon, those kind of round uh, glasses, but they were sunglasses. Um, I, I'm sure that he was wearing either like a tie or a cravat or something like that. Um, he sat down. They're two old friends, known each other since they were kids. And it came out that uh, that this guy used to be the editor of Playboy magazine in Japan for That's many, right. many years. And had lived down in Tokyo, um, had recently retired and moved back up to the hometown of Ichinoseki. And so pretty much two or three times a week would come in and uh, spend the day at Basie with Swifty and some of their other old pals. House. Now, remember, this is Saturday morning in rural Japan, and you've got Swifty there in his blazer and sunglasses, and then you've got the ex-editor of Playboy magazine Japan coming in, <laughs> looking like a million bucks, and I swear before he could even get adjusted in his seat, a bottle of wine and a glass was put down right next to him, That's and right, he proceeded yeah. to just crack into this wine at 11.45 in the morning. Exactly. So these two guys were, were living a retired life that uh, is certainly one that I want to aspire to. Um, so we ended up talking with the two of them, um, and there were a couple other people who came in who, who sat down, and, and you know, one of whom spoke a little English, was very interested in our project. And I remember as the time went by, I, I sort of lost track of the time when I looked and saw that it was already 1230, I, I was wondering like, oh man, is Philip going to have time to take the pictures? Because if we miss our train up here way in the north, our whole day is going to be messed up because there's only one train an hour. Yeah, well, true to form, you were knocking back the free beers. Um, uh, although to be fair, th on this occasion, you did uh, take up the weight of the conversational duties because I, I felt sort of like not not trapped, but I felt a little bit like, you know, we've been invited over here. So the last thing I want to do, obviously, is is be rude and wander off. And I remember then on a couple of occasions, him encouraging me, oh, do, do you need to go upstairs? Do you want to take some more photos? So that kind of gave me the, the out. And actually, one of his staff then did take me. So what you can't see perhaps quite as clearly here, or there's a few hints of it, is there's a whole second floor to this building. Um, and part of it is kind of open plan in a way that you can look over into the performance space below from the second floor. And so she took me up there uh, and gave me a sort of a tour of the building and I took a lot of photos. You can see in particular there's um, a whole collection of drum skins that uh, many of which were signed by Elvin Jones who uh, obviously mm. spent a fair bit of time there uh, when he was living in Japan. And also then I think perhaps one of the stories that, that I have told the most about this project is, is undoubtedly this beautiful portrait you can see here of Count Basie, who obviously uh, gives his name to the place. And he's holding that apple with his name very uh, intricately carved into the skin. Uh, so I took a photograph of that. And then obviously, as I was coming down the stairs, uh, I was chatting to the lady and said, oh, you know, that's a beautiful uh, portrait. Um, you know, where did you get it from? And of course, then she said very casually, oh, the master, meaning Swifty Sugawara, he took that photograph. And I said, oh, mm. right, wow, wow. She said, yes, he also carved uh, Count Basie's name into the skin of the apple. <laughs> and I just thought to myself, well, of course he did. You know, of course he did. I mean, what, yeah. what, why, why would I have thought anything else? And again, sure. it just, it highlights, you know, this incredible relationship that a lot of these owners had with very specific uh, mm. jazz musicians to whom they're then paying homage uh, by naming their places after them. And, and, uh, you can see not just from that photograph, obviously, all over the place is Count Basie's name. And, and in some cases as well, um, a lot of tributes being paid to Elvin, Elvin Jones here, there and everywhere. 
I mean, it's it's remarkable. That that portrait is just so gorgeous, and I mean, I can only just kind of giggle thinking of him saying like, "Oh, Count, can you can you give me just five more minutes? I, I've almost <laughs> got the shape of your name in the apple. I might yep. need to just just another minute with the toothpick here, you know." Um, but uh, yeah, you you see that picture, and it's really interesting because we've mentioned how um, memorabilia. And, and, you know, posters and concert posters and this and that uh, is a big part of the charm of a lot of these jazz joints. Um, but then you see one like that that you took next to that. Um, is that a French horn? Yeah, it's a French horn. Um, and you see Elvin Jones' Jazz Machine live at Basie. Just think about the space as you see the pictures of Basie here and think about hearing the Elvin Jones' Jazz Machine. I mean... I'm almost speechless just thinking about it, let alone the volume would be overwhelming, but like how unbelievably cool it would be to, to hear that band in this space. I mean, it shows you, again, that of all the countries in the world that love jazz, there's nowhere that, that takes it to this level yeah. like Japan does. It's just simply, it's just simply um, the best. You know, that's all I can say. I mean, it's just the best. There's nothing else like it. And I was so happy. I remember um, when the conversation kind of died down and I got up to take one more look around and I went up and I looked behind the counter and that's your third picture here uh, that you have in sequence of, of the records behind uh, behind the bar. And I remember thinking like, you know, if I lived in a place like this, which is again, a, a rather nondescript uh, rural town, you know, but I was able to create a space like this that became well-known worldwide. I mean, it's almost like a dream, you know, you can't really imagine it because I'm, I, I've been trying to think of an equivalent comparison. And the only thing that I could come up with, and Americans will understand this, is um, the Baseball Hall of Fame, which is in a, a town called Cooperstown in upstate New York, really far from New York City, at least a good six-hour drive. It's really hard to get to. Um, Cooperstown is just a small town in upstate New York. and But anybody that loves baseball will make a pilgrimage up there and spend the weekend visiting the museum. Because when you walk in, the entire history of baseball is in this one museum. That's what Basie felt like to me. I felt like you have to go so far up north to the middle of nowhere, but you walk in and the entire history of jazz is located, not only just jazz as a music from America, but of jazz in Japan, which is what our project is about. So it was almost kind of like a sense of validation for me. It was like, yeah, this is it. This is why everybody's been telling me to come here for all these years. And I'm just such a dumbass that it took me 10 years to do it, you know? Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, thinking back now, I mean, the hindsight's 2020, but thinking that you hadn't actually been there at that point uh, and that we and, I, and I'm glad in a way that we got to go together uh, not to get too sentimental obviously but you know it was great that we were able to experience it because it was undoubtedly uh, one of the defining uh, experiences of the project to date and I mean I think it's a classic example I suppose of you know if 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 you build it they will come because like you said you know he was down in in Shinjuku in, the, in that sort of hotbed of of counterculture that we've talked about in the 60s um, mm. with the jazz uh, music and the jazz culture uh, and yet he made that decision to return to this place which you know again you know 20 30 40 years ago was a lot less accessible than it is now and and set up this beautiful place and people did come uh, and you know not only that it's become uh, the legendary place uh, in Japan for for jazz joints i mean there's just so many little touches looking at the photographs even you know just things like even this beautiful sticker on the piano 
you know, um, <laughs> on the side of the piano. Uh, and then obviously you can see there on the other side, he's got that uh, the Count Basie Theatre from New York sticker on the uh, on the front of the piano. And it's just an astonishing, astonishing place. And it's the kind of place as well you do wonder and you do fear of what will happen uh, when it can no longer function. You know, it's the sort of place that I suspect in perhaps other countries it would be uh, preserved as a museum uh, for posterity. But uh, I guess possibly in Japan that once it's gone, it'll be gone. Uh, and Yeah, uh, you know, we've talked, a, we've talked a lot about that before, right? How um, mainstream uh, Japan and the, the sort of mainstream cultural awareness of, of this part of... Um, the, of the jazz world in Japan is, is pretty much zero. Um, and if they do have any, they don't really care. Um, most people would consider this just to be, you know, of no interest. You know, I mean, if you went to the local city government and said, hey, can you, can you landmark it, for example, so they can't tear the building down, that would just never happen. But I think because Basie is so well known, uh, because there are so many people connected to it, um, as far as I understand, Sugawara-san um, does not have any children. But uh, maybe that's incorrect. But if he does, it doesn't seem that they are affiliated with the place. Um, I think that's something maybe to double check on. Because as you mentioned, um, the two staff who were in there the morning that we were there were um, two fairly young ladies, I would say in their late 20s. Now, they might have been just doing part-time work um, and, and are not part of his family. Um, but I think that Basie's is is such a special place and so well-known that it will continue even if he can't run it anymore. I mean, this is its 50th anniversary this year. You know, it opened in 1970. Um, he's just turned 78 years old. Uh, as you can see, he smokes uh, all day long and drinks like a fish. So I don't know how good his health is, but I mean, he's been doing this for 50 plus years. Uh, so maybe his body can withstand it. Um, but it's certainly, yeah, it's kind of um, it's kind of poignant, you know, because it, it connects to everything that we've been talking about doing this project, which is to document a vanishing world, as you've put on the top of the website. Yeah. Um, these places are vanishing. And if Basie were to vanish, it would be nothing less than a tragedy as a jazz fan, you know? Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, and uh, I, for one, I'm grateful that I had the opportunity to visit it. Uh, certainly, I know if I was back in Japan at any point, uh, in the next 18 months or two years, I will definitely uh, make the effort uh, and hang the expense to get up there and visit it again. Uh, I'd love, of course, to take a portrait of him uh, to him as well. Just to sort of round off things, maybe in terms of Basie, James, a, a bit of a shorter episode this week, but we did want to dedicate a whole episode just to Basie for, for the mm. reasons we've already described. But just having a look at the final photograph in the series there of Basie, there's a few things that perhaps worth <laughs> worth uh, drawing out, um, which may we may or may not have noticed in the past. I'd say, uh, for me, there's four things there. I, I always remember this beautiful red rose on top of the piano, um, mm. and I tried very hard to photograph it in a, in a much more artistic way and uh, failed miserably, but uh, it's made it into that photograph for sure. Uh, and I just thought, again, just a very nice and very unnecessary touch but someone's taken the time and effort to put it in there um for the ambience the other thing then is you mentioned last week's episode about octet i mean i would say certainly looking at that photograph that his record collection's got to be pushing that number surely mm, uh, from mm, what's mm. from what's there um 
you know, I don't know, it's hard to, to estimate these things. And uh, uh, I'm sure a few collectors could probably tell us by looking, but I'd be surprised if that's any less than five or 6,000, certainly on the wall mm. and perhaps possibly more. Um, then if you look on the table, of course, uh, you may have spotted the glass ashtray. Mm. Uh, so perhaps uh, there is some truth uh, or there was some truth to that story. However, cryptically, <laughs> it was told by the owner of Royce. And then finally, in the right-hand corner, perhaps the only jazz joint that we've ever been in, which featured a photocopier. <laughs> what is that doing there? Now, we man? did have a fax machine <laughs> in a previous episode. Fax machine, I would expect. A photocopier, yeah. I mean... Uh, well, you know, look, we know that he, um, as someone who is... Not just the owner of the club, but, you know, very connected to, uh, obviously, live performing, um, you know, producing gigs, writing, f- photographing. Maybe he has got a lot of the business things going on, so he, he needs that as part of his office. I mean, certainly the table he was sitting at and the cabinets behind were covered with enough non-jazz-related paperwork and folders and old bills that, you know, it is pretty much his office in there. Um, Philip, man, I just realized by, by looking at this picture, because I didn't notice it the last time, shit, uh, uh, this one uh, uh, that we're talking about, up on the wall above the piano, it says the Elvin jones quartet with winton marsalis live bassy i have the live recording that from when elvin jones was here with winton marsalis they recorded at the pit inn and they did a um a live version of a love supreme but featuring winton on trumpet no saxophone and that's one of my most treasured uh cds because i bought it um my the first birthday that i had in japan so I'd been in Japan about five or six months, and um, it's always a, a tradition of mine. On my birthday, I go record shopping or CD shopping by myself um, to buy myself some presents. So um, I w- had been in Japan only a few months, and I happened to – I was going to go look for a bigger record shop, but I happened to pop into – do you remember the store Book Off? It's yeah, like a yeah, discount yeah. book chain, yeah. So they always have like CDs, you know, used CDs in there. So I popped in and I just looked around. I found some jazz CDs and, and there it was. It was Elvin Jones and Marsalis live at the pit in. And I thought, wow, this is so cool. I'm finally in Japan. And here I am buying for my birthday uh, a CD recorded at the pit in, which I had not yet been to. So that was obviously on the same tour because they had not toured together at other than that, coming to Japan. So what must have happened was they recorded at the Pit Inn and then came up to Basie and played live there. I Amazing. mean, just think about that. Wow. And I, cool. I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if somewhere there exists a recording of that as well. But Oh, unbelievable. Mm. Unbelievable. Well, look, I think that's probably a beautiful place to finish this episode. Um, that was Basie. It is undoubtedly the best. Um, and uh, if you have been to it, you'll know what we're talking about. If you haven't been to it, uh, we recommend that when you get to Japan or if you're already there, you make the effort to go and see it. And in the meantime, please, please check out the photographs on tokyojazzjoints.com forward slash Basie for this one. And of course, the whole project website you can get tokyojazzjoints.com if you don't already follow us on social media we're at Tokyo Jazz Joints all the usual platforms and of course uh, if you do thank you so much for your support for the project thank you also for the messages of encouragement and support that we get on a weekly basis if you're living anywhere in the world and you're listening and you think that somewhere near you there's a jazz place that keeps the spirit 
and the atmosphere of these jazz kisa alive please get in touch with us we'd love to reach out to people uh, and feature them for interviews like we've done already with a couple of places in other countries uh, and uh, we'll be back next week with episode 26 in the meantime uh, take care of yourselves uh, keep listening and james uh, you have a good week you too buddy we're halfway home we are indeed take it easy ciao Hi everyone, what you're about to hear now is a short story which I wrote a couple of years ago for a magazine. It's a fictionalised version of our first trip to Basie that we've just discussed on the podcast. The sound design for the short story was done by Brian of Grooves Ahead, so thank you to him and thanks for all the work that he's done on the podcast project since we first started. We hope you enjoy the short story and we hope that someday, somehow, you get the chance to go to Basie and experience what we also got to experience when we visited. Enjoy the story, and we'll see you all next week. So what time will you be opening on Saturday then? I asked. I don't know, I'm not a fucking train timetable, am I? Came the gruff response from the other end of the line. Before the slightly too long silence that told me I was the only person left on the call. More evidence to challenge the myth that all Japanese are polite, I remember thinking, grinning to myself slightly. They're not. And if they don't know you, they don't have to be. In fact, you could be led to believe that Japanese men over a certain age had dispensed with the inconvenience of words altogether, replacing them with a series of grunts, guttural noises and loud interjections. But that answer had been as good as we were going to get. We took it as a green light for a trip we couldn't really afford, an utterly ridiculous decision to anyone but me or my partner in this mad project. But that was a few weeks back, and this was now. I mean, this was fucking it. Our Wigan Casino, our electric ballroom, our mecca of Japanese jazz joints. Four and a half hours on a bullet train slicing through the endless sprawl and carbon copy factory towns of the Japanese countryside was nearing its end. An early morning rendezvous at Tokyo Station had brought us here to the end of months of anticipation. Months of being told by jazz joint owners about the legendary Basie. Run by the most famous of all the owners. A shining beacon, a bastion of jazz joint culture holding firm against the relentless onslaught of Japanese modernity and development. Like many of its peers, Basie was named in honour of the musician its owner most admired and was tucked away in the rundown red light district of an ageing, nondescript Japanese provincial town. For over 40 years it had weathered in turn snowplough winters and summers which could rot wood with their humidity. It probably wouldn't withstand an earthquake, but mercifully, not least for us, that was something with which it had yet to contend. A journey that had begun two years previously as just an idea and then an experiment had gradually burgeoned into a countrywide quest to photograph the hundreds of rapidly vanishing jazz bars and kisa coffee shops which for decades had anchored the soil of Japan's jazz landscape. And whichever dingy bar or grimy post-war cafe we find ourselves in, only one name had been so consistently and reverently uttered. Basie. 
The same name that we can now see carved in a small sign hanging on the glass-panelled wooden door in front of us. The deep orange hue and faint sound of music bleeding through the smoky glass indicates at least that the trip has not been in vain. Basie is open. I steady myself, take a deep breath and place my hand apprehensively on the door. It opens into a large, cavernous room as dark and moody as the street behind me is bright and sun-drenched. The hushed black and brown tones of the interior are fringed with red and orange from the hanging lamps and bar lights. Posters, photos, records, leaves, autographs, ticket stubs and other jazz paraphernalia cover the walls, all of them reflecting off the large black piano in the middle of the floor, giving the whole place the impression of a jazz-themed fairground hall of mirrors. Altar-like. At the back of the space sits the mythical JBL sound system, beckoning customers towards its ear-defying volume. The enormous handmade wooden speakers dominate the room and all the furniture faces respectfully in their direction. Listening is not an option. It is a requirement. It is the whole fucking point. If jazz is a religion for so many Japanese, then this is the shrine at which they worship. I nod politely at the woman cleaning glasses behind the bar as we sit down at the table and watch her face almost imperceptibly fall at the prospect of having to deal with bumbling foreign customers who have stumbled in here out of some vague curiosity. We try to walk a fine line between the sheer excitement of digesting everything we are seeing and feeling and not looking like gormless tourists, so overwhelmed that we blow the whole thing. It's unlikely we will be back anytime soon, so any visit is potentially the last. We never know how much longer each joint will stay open and even the most revered are not immune from old age, sickness, unreasonable rent hikes and lack of customers. What can I get you? asks the woman quietly as she approaches the table. Oh, just two beers, please, says my partner. Shifting in my chair out of the corner of my eye, I catch the other reason we came all this way to Basie. Sat across from the bar at a huge round wooden table is the master, of whom we have heard so many legendary tales. His salt and pepper hair is parted neatly to the side and he sports an immaculately pressed cream blazer complete with pocket square. Wearing sunglasses in the warm yellow light where he sits, he holds a thick black fountain pen in his hand. Pausing from time to time for thought, he then writes carefully constructed lines of poetry into a book filled with the intricate shapes of Japanese calligraphy. Sitting there, right in front of us, I can't help but wonder if he would even be believable to others except in a work of fiction. He looks for all the world like some... Hollywood movie crime kingpin between vendettas, sunglasses keeping his nervy henchmen guessing constantly where his gaze will fall. The arrival of our drinks startled me out of this silent surveillance. Here you are, enjoy. Uh, sorry. One thing. The truth is, I begin hesitantly, we have come from Tokyo, especially today. As soon as I say it, I know how it sounds. This joint has been here for over 40 years and here we are some gaijin interlopers looking for special treatment simply because we have come to visit. The woman smiles tolerantly. Would it be okay to take some photographs for a project we're currently doing? I ask. Yes, of course, she says. Just please don't photograph the customers. 
Well, this has become a fairly standard reply. Jazz joints are private spaces for private people, and there are no more private people than the Japanese. I have become adept at shooting the backs of heads or grabbing the interior shots gorilla style, using that temporary window when a customer goes to the toilet and clears the space. No wives or bosses will ever see their husbands or employees in a jazz joint from my photos. These places still retain a little of their bohemian counterculture feel for the Japanese, so most have never been or would ever dream of going to one. I take out my camera, my nerves causing me to over-exaggerate the selection of lens before grabbing some shots from where I'm sitting. Confidence up, I begin to explore a little further from the table. Rather than wandering around for a long time, I am conscious of photographing in short and unobtrusive bursts, and today is no exception. I can see the master in my peripheral vision as I slide back into the leather booth for another sip of my drink, still processing how incredible this place is. Like so many others we have been lucky enough to visit. They never disappoint in their sheer variety, living museums of a musical culture at once unified in their purpose, yet each one unique in character. As I settle back into my seat to enjoy Eric Dolphy live at the five spot, wash over as at ear-splitting volume, the woman reappears silently beside our table. Excuse me, I'm sorry to disturb you, but the master would like to talk with you, if that's okay. He was also a photographer. Fuck yes, I think. Although its sort of whimpering sound is all that emerges from my mouth. My partner doesn't need asking twice, though, and is up like a shot. The woman takes it as a yes, nods, and within seconds a phalanx of staff arrive to move our drinks, snacks, bags and jackets across the room to the large round table where the master holds court. We walk over nervously, desperate not to mess this chance up. Taking a seat at his table, we nod politely and smile in that Japanese way which wordlessly acknowledges an invitation. His middle finger dominated by a large silver skull ring, he returns the nod and reaches deftly into his jacket pocket, producing two beautifully embossed white business cards. Turning them round so the text faces outwards, he holds the card at both corners between thumb and index finger before coolly sliding each one in turn through the air between us. We receive them respectfully in both hands, heads slightly bowed, and look down to read the text. Below the basey logo in the top left-hand corner, it reads simply, Shoji Swifty Sugawara, Master. This is it. The inner circle, I think, trying to keep my cool as I place the card gently down to my right on the table and look back up. For the briefest instant, I catch my partner's eye and it's enough to tell me we're thinking the exact same thing. Basie. It simply doesn't get any better. <laughs>